Good morning. Our scripture this morning will be from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Well, today we continue in this series called Hashtag Rethink, Engage in Technology Without Disengaging God. We began by talking about uh, the need at times to go against the culture. Most often these days we, we must, and the sermon was I refuse, uh, and addressing the cultural issues that are around us. I recommended the book Good Faith to you uh, when we were talking about that uh, sermon. And then we moved from, uh, from that to uh, talking about I engage and talking about how parents must be engaged in technology where your children are concerned. And from there, talking about filtering technology last week and giving you some practical guidelines along the way. And so it is today that we come to uh, I uplift using technology for good, you know, for one another, because technology is a tremendous tool. And in order to understand how to do this, it's also fitting that on a day when we honor graduates that we go to Ephesians 5, 15 through 21, and we look at uh, this passage that talks about how to live out your faith practically in a world that is counter to it and how to use your faith to bolster the faith of others. This uh, treks all the way back to Ephesians 4.1. If you go to Ephesians 4.1, Paul says in Ephesians 4.1 uh, that uh, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now I must confess that I misunderstood this verse for many years. I thought of Ephesians 4.1 as only for people who had been called to vocational ministry. And so uh, that was for me or for others in the room who have been called to serve as pastors or to serve as missionaries, to serve in some uh, full-time capacity. But actually 4.1 refers to those who have been called to Christ in salvation. The reality is that if you sit here this morning and you know Christ, it is because one day Jesus came calling. One day Jesus called your name. Jesus, through the Spirit, reached out to you and drew you to himself. And I would say to you this morning, if you sit here today and you do not yet know Christ... I hope, and it is the prayer of every believer in the room, that today will be the day when you hear the call of God, when you hear the call of Christ to come to him. 
And so when we live in a manner worthy of the calling, Paul begins that in 4.1, but he climaxes this in 5.15 through 21. And he says, this is how to do it. He gives three not as dot, 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 but. And so you'll see these constructions here. <clears throat> not as, but. Not as unwise, but as wise, not foolish, but understand the Lord's will, not drunk with wine, but filled with the spirit. So let's unpack these for a little bit. Paul says, live not as unwise, but as wise. And he says, this is how to do it. We read that. And that seems such normal everyday language, perhaps. How do we clearly define how to live not as unwise, but as wise redeeming the time? Paul says, redeeming the time. That is a commercial word used uh, to signify intense purchasing or intense buying. I I thought in our culture, where do we understand that phrase, redeeming the time? What does it mean? And uh, sadly, uh, this is what came to mind, Black Friday right? Black Friday is that day where people go and they will camp out. They will get to a place early. They will wait in long lines to buy that one thing that they've been wanting. I'd never before been on a Black Friday venture until I allowed my son to convince me that after he having saved his money, he should be able to go buy something from Walmart that was on sale on Black Friday. It is for me, at least as a dad, and because I guess of my makeup, it is the highest act of sacrificial love to go to Walmart in the first place. I do not enjoy, some of you may work there, no offense to you, I just don't enjoy ever going to Walmart for any reason. To me, uh, like, like hell would be one long, endless Walmart. And you just never, ever could get through it. And then when you went to check out, the line was 50 people long. That, it's just Walmart. And so I have no desire ever to go there. But here Trent and I end up in Walmart on Black Friday. And so we're there and we're in line and the sea of humanity uh, groping through the aisles to get what they wanted. People screaming at one another. They don't pay those people. You should get hazard pay to work Black Friday. They don't pay those people enough. Why do people do that? Because in their minds, it will never be that cheap again. They're redeeming the time. And so when Paul talks about redeeming the time, it's not because stuff is cheap. It's because the days are evil. The days are evil. And I would say certainly to you as graduates and certainly to all of us in the room, we live in a time that is now post-Christian. America is post-Christian. We, we are not a Christian culture anymore. And so parents, you're raising children in a culture that is post and often anti-Christian. 
So how do you rear children in a culture that now looks back in the rearview mirror at Christianity rather than seeing it all around us? How do you live in this culture, uh, not as unwise but as wise? Redeem the time. Redeem the time. Why? Because the days are evil. And guess what? Uh, You used to be evil too. Uh, so did I. If we go back two chapters in Ephesians, uh, we get or three, we go to Ephesians chapter two. Look at verses one through three. And you were dead. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, look at this, like the rest of mankind. Lest we become uh, conceited in our grace. Lest we become uh, accomplished in our work as believers. We used to be dead. Before Christ, we were dead. Dead isn't good. Right? Dead isn't good. Dead implies rottenness, corruption, uselessness, helplessness, hopelessness. That was us before Christ. I fear that some of us have known him for so long. We've walked with him for so long. We've forgotten. And let me tell you something this morning. If you forget, remember last week, Peter, 2 Peter verse 1 says, don't forget. Don't forget who you once were. If you forget who you once were, you are more likely to do what you once did. If you forget the grace that grabbed you and caught you out of the clutches of sin, you are more likely to go back into the sin from which you were once rescued. And so Paul says to them, you used to be dead and hopeless and helpless apart from God. That ought to give you a sense of urgency for all the other people who are dead and hopeless and helpless apart from God. Amen? Like you should have this sense of urgency. The sense of urgency. You say, Jerry, uh, what do you mean? Well, our air conditioner went out upstairs in our house. It's hot. Just muggy hot. We're sleeping uh, while we wait to get a new compressor. Sleeping with the windows open. So Thursday, uh, Friday night, Saturday morning, asleep uh, upstairs about 4.50, 4.55 a.m. We're right on Highway 70. I'm awakened by this eerie, eerie, eerie sound. I hear a car approaching. I don't hear the car first. What I hear first is this yelling. And it's a man. And he's saying, help me. That will freak you out at 4.55 in the morning. And I wake up to it and I can hear the car is moving past us. And three times he yells out for help while the car moves past. By the time I can get up, the car is gone. There's nothing I can do. Nothing. I have no clue who this is. I have no clue what help he needs. I don't know where the car went. I am completely 
helpless with him. That's how all of us were, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. Without any hope, without any help. That's who you were before Christ. So, what do we do? We redeem the time. We make the most of the time. Paul writes in Romans 13, 11 through 14, Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from your sleep. For salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. Now he's talking about ultimate salvation, when Christ ultimately returns. Do you know what that means? That means this. It means that when you came to Christ, it it is closer, Christ's return, than when you came to Christ. Jesus' return is closer than it once was. Christ is nearer in his return. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Not as unwise, but as wise. Not as foolish, but understand the Lord's will. Scripture defines the fool as the person who says in his heart, there is no God. The fool says, God, no way. So, so not as foolish, but understand. This word understand is not a passive term. It is an active term. To understand requires diligence and action. To understand the will of the Lord means mentally engaging and realizing you can't get it. Now, for many, many, uh, many uh, years, I also misunderstood this. I thought of the Lord's will as many of you do, all right? College graduates standing up here, right? Uh, And thinking, all right, is it God's will for me to work here, go there, go to school? And yes, that is the personal will of God. Should I marry him? Should I marry her? Uh, uh, should I work, uh, take this job? Uh, what should I do? Those, those things about your personal life uh, for which you need the wisdom of God, certainly that is seeking God's will. But that's not what this is about. This is about understanding God's will in a universal way. What is God's will universally? Here it is. Simply put, to save sinners and to sanctify saints. God longs to save sinners. And he longs to sanctify saints. 2 Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise of some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Look at this, not wishing, some translations say not willing, that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God loves sinners. He loves sinners. My phone rang on Monday. On the other end was a student that I taught uh, uh, two years ago at Montreal. His name is Tristan. I said, Tristan, uh, what can I do for you? And he said, well, uh, Dr. Lewis, I, I, I was working and I was in, uh, I work in a plastic plant in Charlotte. He said, I go in at 630. I get off at 230. A week ago today, so we, we talked actually on Tuesday. A week ago today, he said, I began to think 
um, why am I here in this plastic factory? And he said, then I began to think, why am I here in the world? And he said, as I began to question that, uh, all of a sudden I realized that I, I didn't know. And I didn't know what would happen after I leave this world. And he said, I'm Catholic, I'm religious, I believe in God. But I realized I am not ready for whatever comes after whatever this is all about. And he said, and I fish. And usually anything on my mind, fishing will get off my mind. He said, I've been fishing, and when I go fishing, it goes with me fishing. When I wake up, it wakes up with me. When I go to bed, he said, for a solid week, all I can think about is why am I here? What is my purpose? What about eternity? Can you help me? Yes. You know, I said to him, God's after you, Tristan. He's a good kid, quiet kid in class, plays baseball. So I began to share the gospel with him and I began to answer some questions that he had about God and questions about Muslims and questions about Buddhists and questions about what happened to children if they die early. All of these questions that now for a week as he's been working in a mundane plastic factory have been rolling through his head again and again and again. So we talked for about 30 minutes and and toward the end I said, Tristan, uh, you can pray anywhere, anytime, trust Christ as your personal savior. You can receive forgiveness that only God can give you. When we hang up, I will send to you, I will send to you a, um, uh, a prayer and you on your own can pray that. Next day I get a text from him. He said, I'm free at, at, at lunch. Can you, uh, can I call? And I said, sure. So he calls me 12 noon on the dot. And I said, how are you doing? He said, oh, I'm doing much better. I said, good, good. He said, I feel so clean. I cannot describe to you how clean I feel right now. I said, man, that is awesome. Did you pray? He said, I sure did. He said, I prayed last night, trusted Christ. He said, I feel so clean on the inside. And he said, this burden that I carried for a week, it's gone. It's completely gone. That burden has been lifted off of me. And it was remarkable to hear him describe that. We're figuring this one out. Let's see. I don't know. I'll start back whenever he can pull me back up. We'll see. And we wait. All right, guys, I'm going to preach through it. You good with that? All right. All right. So I'll, I'll talk loud while they work back there and uh, get, get things taken care of. So 
God loves sinners. Tristan is proof of that. And so as soon as, uh, as we talked that day, I said, listen, I want you to go, go on your phone, download this Bible app, and this Bible app will give you a reading plan for new believers. And I'll read through it. You read through it. We'll do all of this together. Why? God longs to sanctify saints. He longs to make Tristan more like Christ. Look at this. First Thessalonians 4, 3. For this is the will of God your sanctification. This is the will of God. So if you want to know what God's will is, it's to save sinners. It is to sanctify the saints. It is to help you to be more and more like Christ. So this brings us to the point, the application of the sermon. How do we use technology to do that? How do you use technology to be sanctifying an uplifting post on Facebook, uh, an, a timely email, a text sent to someone that God puts on your mind and you just fly a text to them. How many of you in this room have received one of those timely texts? Yeah, isn't that amazing? Perhaps you're not able to talk on the phone, but you can receive a text and somebody just sends you one and you look at it and you go, how did they know? How did they know what I needed to hear? I think about uh, blogs and podcasts and so many ways that technology is used wonderfully to encourage and bless one another. I'm thinking of 106.9, the radio station across the mountain. Many of you listen to it. Recently, Wendy and I were at a dinner. It's one of those dinners where you don't know who's going to be at your table till you get there. And we get to our table, we find our names. And when we do, we look across the way and I see this name. And I said to my wife, oh, wow. I used to listen to him speak on 106.9 when I was a college student and when I was in high school. And as many of you know, we grew up rather, uh, rather, that's an understatement of the century, strict. And so we weren't allowed to listen to 106.9. And uh, uh, I remember just sneaking out and listening to him or I would get in my 1979 Plymouth Horizon and uh, trek away from college and listen to John Akers teach. And there he sat and I looked across the table at him after we had been having dinner for a little bit. And I said, Dr. Akers, you have no clue, but your teaching for years shaped the way I learned God's word. Uh, Dr. Akers appeared to be close to 80 years old. He taught the L. Nelson Bell uh, Sunday school class at Mon- then Mon- now Christ Community, but Montreat Press. He taught uh, that class and they would air it. And his teaching was impeccable. Just right through the word. I love to hear that man. And I shared that with him. And it, it so moved him to be encouraged in that way. You can use technology in a tremendous way for good. Um, Third, not drunk with wine, but filled with the spirit. Verses 18 through 21, Paul just goes off. It's one sentence. And he says, do not get drunk with wine. Drunkenness was a common problem. A major feature in the worship of Dionysius, the god of wine, was that you would get so very drunk that you believed as, as drunk as you could get. Then uh, Dionysius uh, would enter your being and fill the worshiper's heart and body. And that way you could do what he would command you to do. 
And so you drank the wine, you drank the alcohol so as to do what Dionysius said to do. So when Paul says, do not get drunk with wine, that leads to debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. His, his audience knows exactly what he's talking about. Oh, instead of this drunkenness for Dionysius, it's this spirit filling for God and God will fill us. And then there are five uh, participles that roll out. What happens when you're filled with the spirit? Before we get there, uh, I, I want to be clear on something. I said this recently, somebody said to me uh, privately, Jerry, I'm very surprised, I guess in McDowell County, that I would say something like this. I I don't believe scripture teaches it is a sin to drink, uh, but scripture clearly teaches it is a sin to be drunk. Uh, Some disagree with me, that's fine. John MacArthur uh, says this, we must be clear that drinking or not drinking is not in itself a mark and certainly not a measure of spirituality. Spirituality is determined by what we are inside of which we do on the outside uh, of what we do on this outside is but a manifestation. And so it it is an inside outside thing Christianity is. But I want to add this caveat as a warning, especially on a day we honor graduates. If you're under 21, it's illegal to drink, period. I have seldom met a college student who can drink in moderation. I've seldom met one who can approach alcohol and do it with any degree of moderation. If you post on social media pictures of you holding alcohol, the assumption is is that's what characterizes or defines you. And it is very difficult to overcome that message with the gospel. People are going to believe what you do always before they believe what you say. And that is critically important. So instead of social media posts that celebrate drunkenness, Paul offers a stark contrast. He says, addressing one another, singing and making melody. So those are the three participles. Addressing one another, singing and making melody all have to do with with music. And they all have to do with what comes out of the heart. Why does that matter? Uh, What comes out of the mouth is a measure of what is in the heart. That's why it matters. Luke 6, 43 through 45 says this, Paul, uh, Jesus is teaching, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, grapes from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil tre- treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks There's something you must understand. This is vitally important. Your mouth is given by the grace of God as a uh, a thermometer for what's in your heart. If bitterness is coming out of your mouth, you have a bitter heart. If anger repeatedly is coming out of your mouth, you've got anger in your heart. If sexual perversion and dirty jokes are coming out of your mouth, you have a perverted heart. If all you talk about is money, you have a greedy heart. Whatever is coming out of your mouth 
God has given by his grace as a measure of your heart. Isn't God gracious to do that? If you wonder how you're doing spiritually, listen to what you're saying. You'll know. That's how you know. And so if you're filled with the Spirit or being filled, this is a progressive verb. It means it happens every day. What flows out of your mouth will be from the Spirit himself. As a matter of fact, the fourth participle has to do with the mouth, doesn't it? Giving thanks always and in all things. That's a tall order. You say, Jerry, how do you do this? Glad you asked. Has to happen daily. This theme is woven all through scripture, and I want you to get this. In your life group, you have already or you will deal with the meanings of these words, but I want to focus on the method daily. All right, so when the children of Israel are in the wilderness and they're wandering and they need food, for some reason, God, who could set up Yeti coolers everywhere, right? And just preserve it all. God could do that. No. He says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to rain down enough manna from heaven for how long, class? One day. One day. And so that's what he does. Manna for a day. What happened if they stored it up? It rotted. It became sour. What do you think God was teaching them? Depend on me every what? Day. So do this every single day. Uh, Consider Lamentations 3. Love this. Lamentations 3. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every what? Morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. Do you know what God does every morning of your life? Deposits into the bank account of your life enough mercies for that day. And what does he expect you to do? Spend it. Exhaust the bank account that day. Psalm 68, verse 19, I love. Blessed be the Lord who what? Who what? Say it loud daily bears us up. God is our salvation. Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Give us this day our what? Daily Daily bread. It is a day by day. This service isn't enough. This is fuel in the engine. But if you aren't with the Lord day in and day out, you'll become dry and thirsty. Luke 9, 23, Jesus said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. What? Daily. Daily. And follow me. For some reason, God has designed this to be a daily endeavor. Day by day. By day, our praise team is going to come. There's something interesting about all of these words about singing. There are two audiences, all right? One audience is one another. Yeah, when you worship, you sing to one another. So one of the audiences is each other. It's 
It's as you worship, you ought to be doing this to and with one another. The second audience is Christ. It's mentioned here in Ephesians 5. Sing to one another, making melody in your hearts to the Lord. So we don't sing to impress each other, do we? I mean, some of you are glad because your singing is not that impressive, you think. And, and yet we sing to build the faith of one another. That's the fruit of the Spirit filling our lives. So what we're going to do to end our service today, rather than we normally begin it, is to put this into practice. Here's what I want to ask you to do. Bow your heads for just a moment. And in the quiet of this moment, I want you to pray a simple prayer. And I'm going to give it to you, and then you can form it as you wish or need. The prayer goes like this. Dear Jesus, I've come in here with, and you fill in the blank, on my mind. Dear Jesus, I have been distracted by, and just fill in the blank. Dear Jesus, I long to build the faith of, and if you're here with somebody else and you want their faith to be built by your own worship, tell him. And dear Jesus, I long for you to receive my praise as my gift to you today.